United States has always relied on NCAA sports to be competitive at the Olympic Games. In some sports, NCAA is the highest level one can compete at short of the Olympics themselves. So when Olympic sports get cut, especially at marquee institutions, that's going to affect the United States at the Olympic Games down the road. I don't know if you've noticed, but NCAA programs are getting cut and headlines might not tell the full story. In this episode of Threshold, we talk with two of three generations of a family of distance runners who recently saw their beloved university program axed after over a hundred years of tradition. NCAA sports have never been a bastion of equity. But when COVID-19 took hold of university and college life, a gap between the media giant American pro sports of NCAA Division I and many long-standing revenue-losing sports programs opened very widely and publicly. A string of news stories ensued, uncovering numerous sports programs getting the ax to balance athletic department budgets. This year, at least 30 universities have cut almost 100 sports programs. Soccer, squash, golf, gymnastics. Lots of disappointment from these student athletes. As athletic directors, college and university presidents, and boards of regents wrestled with the financial strains their athletics operations already faced pre-COVID under an ever-escalating war of bigger and better facilities to draw bigger talent and a wider fan base in hopes of gaining a bigger slice of that media mega-money pie of TV contracts, the gap between big-revenue American college sports and long-standing deep-rooted Olympic sports essentially grew to a point in which it broke. Many saw it well before COVID hit, most publicly a fight to circumvent an NCAA system that essentially profits off athletes with few rights or a share in the profits of their own work and sacrifice hadn't already begun. Those are essentially unpaid athletes making millions for universities with little to no guarantee of a better future for themselves. It threatened the very existence of the NCAA as we know it. Also, the ongoing, systematic, and long-prevalent trapping of finer points of Title IX, mandating equal opportunity for women in sports. And perhaps more subtly for white guys like myself, there's a huge connection between the Black Lives Matter's hot points woven into the nature of which programs got cut first in all of this. COVID just shined a bigger light on the big, juicy mess that is NCAA sports. We can't possibly cover NCAA sports shortcomings in a podcast. That might take a decade of in-depth programming. This podcast, though, dives into the experience of a family's commitment to a storied NCAA program of which they've written a chapter or two themselves, a generations-long home of identity and pride that kicked them very swiftly to the curb. Today, the U announced that this will be the last season for men's tennis, men's gymnastics, and men's track and field. Of all the NCAA D1 sports programs being swept into that chasm, the University of Minnesota men's track and field program might be one of the most distinguished to reach this sad fate. I'm not saying the money issues aren't real. They are. But so are the sports, the people behind them, the athletes, and the legacies. It's really easy in America to liken everything to a profitable or failing business. We love to do that. And that's what this is about. That and a family swept into that chasm. On my very first recruiting trip to the Minnesota State track meet, I happened to sit next to Carson Hayes' dad in the stands. And as the day wore on, I got to meet Carson and his wife, Joelle. I watched them watch their son, Owen, run his last meets as a high schooler that day. And we became kind of friendly and check in on each other from time to time. Like his NCAA All-American dad, Owen had already committed to the University of Minnesota Golden Gophers by then. Three years later, his little brother, Eli, followed suit. 
the Hafes were invested in the Gophers. Big time. Fast forward to a little over a month ago. We began our coverage with the mile. Eli and Owen Hafe towed the start line of the Big Ten Indoor Track and Field Championship Finals in the mile. In what was, as it stood with the university at present, the last time the Gophers men would do so. But here we go. The runners are set and the men's one mile. 2021 Big Ten Indoor Championship is underway. And it went pretty well. So there is the bell for the final lap. Yeah, strong move by Kusha down the back stretch. Haft, though, responding to everything he's got. Down the final stretch. Heft making that long stride run. Heft with the long stride, and Kusha leans over. Kusha and Heft so close to call. Oh, and one. So Heft by one thousandth of a second is unofficially how they've got it right now. Behind the headlines of XYZ University dropping their track and field or swimming or diving or tennis or golf program, we all move on nodding our heads. Yep, they don't make enough money, as if that's the only measure of their value. The Hafe family have lived those headlines. Their world was flipped on its head last summer when the University of Minnesota cut the men's indoor and outdoor track and field program. I don't want to nod my head knowingly. I want to hear what they're going through. Carson, the dad, is an NCAA All-American for the Gophers. Joelle Haft, mom, is a runner and now expert activist in saving cut athletics programs. Owen Haft is a University of Minnesota Gopher senior and the 2021 Big Ten Mile champion for indoor track. And Eli Haft, the 2019 Minnesota State champion in the mile, is a redshirt freshman at the University of Minnesota. As threshold transitions out of winter into spring, the Haft family joins us from Minnesota, where between winning championship races, they are engaged in a fight to reinstate the program they and so many for generations have invested in and loved. So, hey, family, welcome to Threshold. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Well, we're glad to have you. So I'm just going to start things out really broadly, and you guys can all kind of take a swipe at this, but we'll start with Carson first uh, as kind of the patriarch of the family and, 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 the, and the, got the guy who started the running trend. So um, how did running become such a big part of the Haft family? I, you know, I, I, that's a good question. I guess it's just something that's always been of the interest. I mean, I got started in junior high or, you know, even elementary school doing those little track meets or whatever. And it's just kind of something that came pretty natural, I guess. And, you know, it didn't matter how good you were, just the encouragement. And, and you know, this is a lifelong sport and go do the best you can. And, and no matter where you land, if you're improving and you're working hard and you're developing some skills, so that's, that's the way we want to go. And uh, that's... Kind of what we went with with the boys as well. Just like, hey, have some fun. What 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 do you guys want to do? Joel, as a, as a parent, and you you run as well. I mean, so so what is running? What is running meant to you as a parent with with two boys who are now running collegiately at D one level? Yeah, well, running is uh, just a joy. You know, I think for all of us individually and then collectively. And when I think about some of our earliest days, I know, uh, you know, we'd head over to the Griac cross country meet every year at the. Uh, at the golf course on campus, and um, we'd run little, uh, I can think of Owen doing little hurdles in our upstairs uh, story and a half house in St. Paul, running, jumping over some uh, some little rolls we'd put, and, and it just feels like it was um, part of our culture. I know, you know, I, my dad actually ran at the University of Minnesota and his brother too, so we have on my side too, like a tradition of running in our family and um but then our kids went to hopkins high school and they ran with um some really stellar coaches there starting in junior high with 
um, Andrea Yesnes, and then at the high school level with Mike Harris and Nick Lovis. And, and they too really um, were just committed to this sort of community and all together kind of spirit that um, we can talk about more later, but that's really shaped our, our family life and our experiences. So we're, we're super grateful for the coaches that we've had. Yeah, I mean, coming from a big family, I can see it, uh, how how that trickles down to the kids. Owen, Owen, and Eli. Start with Owen. Owen, how is how do you remember starting to realize that you wanted to run competitively? Yeah, it was. Uh, I, I would say it didn't happen all at once. It was kind of over the course of a few years. You know, in elementary school, we had like a a track program where I just did it because a few of my friends did it. Um, and I think, you know, when we were really young, I think Eli and I would both agree that our thing was basketball. And we, we ran, but we are, we were more so, you know, going to be in the NBA in a few years. But uh, well, I think once I got to, for sure, seventh grade and eighth grade, and we started in our, like, junior high program, um, we were just able to, you know, have some success and just realized that it was fun to win so yeah yeah I'd say at that point it it got more so like <clears throat> something that I wanted to be really good at yeah what about you Eli yeah so so pretty similar um I guess just playing like basketball and soccer growing up mainly let's say we were my my main two sports um and then like we had really good middle school cross-country coaches um who actually like just kind of placed a, a big emphasis on enjoying running um I feel like for a while it was kind of just one of those things that I did because I knew I could um, compete at a decent level, at least with other seventh graders and eighth graders. But, um, you know, go out and and try to win stuff was the most fun part of it. Um, And then I think from there, kind of, you know, you get drawn into the community a little bit where you find good people to run with and train with um, and like minded people. Um, So, you know, from there, then I was just kind of try to get a little bit better each year. Yeah. So 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 Carson. As a father, you know, I, I've got 11 and a 12-year-old right now, and they're starting to show what they can do in different sports. And, and I think of myself, you know, I, and you guys could probably agree, like when you start winning things, you start feeling you're into that. Like nothing beats – I think about Kara Goucher. So I know Kara as a, as, a, as a young high schooler. And, you know, that, that family didn't know anything about running. They were a soccer family. And then Kara started winning, and they became a running family. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, you guys are a second-generation running family. So, Carson, um, how, you know, what were some of the things going through your mind as the guy who was the, you know, the legacy athlete at, at the University of Minnesota, having these kids who started winning running races? You know, did you have a conscious thought process as a parent? Well, uh, you know, I mean, I think it's awesome that they're into running, of course. Like, I mean, I, I loved it. It was, it was so, such a large part of my life and so meaningful. And, uh, but like, you know, like they said, you know, hopefully we didn't impress that too much on them. Maybe Joel was telling the story about Owen running hurdles up in our little tiny basement, you know, I think of it as like the subliminal messaging, like, hey, let's bring them to track meets, let's let's make sure they're exposed to these things, bring them to the GRIAC meet, have them meet, you know, Coach GRIAC and those sorts of things, and, you know, at least have that exposure there, I mean, I, I, I don't think we were going to have them play hockey ever or anything like that, sorry, I don't know, if, you know, your kids ski a little bit, there's probably some hockey going on there, but... Oh, there is, um, yeah, yeah. you know it's so it's great and and I know I have to check myself or had to uh you know like once they started getting more competitive as far as offering too much advice or too many thoughts and you know I've been told to you know zip it more than a few times or or whatever and and uh 
yeah, it's it's great. I I absolutely love it. And if they would have chosen a different path, or if they would have right, right. gone on to do something else, that's fantastic too. You know, that's what we want from for your kids, our kids, everybody's kids. You know, find something that you really right. want to do and achieve, and you can really sink your teeth into, and and hopefully have some success, and, and most of all, enjoy yourselves. Right. Okay, so so uh, n- now I kind of want to get into the meat of, of why we're here, and, and really what I want to cast a light on with this podcast is, um, uh, let's start with Owen and Eli on this one. So so run through a little bit about how you first caught wind of the you cutting men's track. Did, did you had was you were you totally blindsided in the meeting, or did you catch wind of it before you, you before they actually announced? Yeah, we were totally blindsided. We basically um, had like an all athletic department Zoom call they sent out. And, you know, I figured it was probably just going to be like, oh, another like COVID protocol or something like that, just since we've had some similar stuff. Um, And then, you know, we just hopped on the Zoom um, and then you start kind of like looking at like some people's faces, like the athletic director and then like our coaches and stuff who had learned now, you know, like 10 minutes prior or something. Um, hopped on the Zoom call, and then they're just like, yeah, we're going to cut, like, you know, four sports, um, and then it's going to be indoor and outdoor track, gymnastics, and then um, uh, tennis as well for the men's side. Um, And so it's kind of one of those things where it's like, we, you know, didn't expect it at all. And even, like, before, like, the years before, um, I, like, you could see kind of in the media that different colleges were cutting their their track and field programs. And I've had friends even be like, oh, like, do you think that's ever – like what happened years, I'd be like, oh, not at all. Like the U has, you know, is a lot of funding, great tradition, um, and great coaches, great athletes. There, nothing like ever like that would happen. Um, but then I guess that kind of shows you like the the scope of power. I guess that the athletic director has. Oh, and, oh, and what was your what was your initial reaction? Yeah, it was basically the same. Um, yeah, we just learned in that Zoom meeting, and then it definitely took a little while to actually sink in that that just happened, but. Yeah, Eli, Eli basically covered everything that kind of went through my mind, too. So Carson and Joel, as, as obviously as parents, I mean, Eli's just basically gotten there. He's committed to this program for the bulk of his career, and he's he's basically a redshirt, redshirt freshman, I believe. Is that is that right? When the decision yeah, yep. was made? Yeah. So, you know, what, what goes through your mind uh, as parents? Yeah, well, we were, you know, kind of wondering. We knew with COVID that there would be challenges, you know, at universities as there would be in every walk of life. And so we, over the summer, were sort of wondering, you know, to ourselves, like, I wonder what's going to happen. And and so I think we were kind of breathing a sigh of relief when we paid the tuition bill in September. Like, okay, I guess we're good to go here. And um, and so we're really blindsided on September 10th when the news came out um, that there would be cuts to the outdoor and indoor programs. It really um, was a total shock. Yeah, it was a, I remember getting the, the texts from these guys, like they just cut track. And I'm like, uh, no, that's. <laughs> that that's not possible. Like, yeah, right? like yeah. they, they I can just, imagine. They just raised money for a new track, uh, outdoor right, track. Right. Beautiful. They just redid the field house. Like they're they're raising money for these things that alumni are pushing tons of cash into. Um, as Joel said, it was coincidentally. I don't know. We just paid tuition for the fall. So Joel. I've seen how active you've become in the movement to overturn this. Uh, well, both of you, both Carson and and Joel. 
But um, I, you know, I, I, I see on Facebook the Save the U Men's Track and Field program, and you guys were immediate. It was almost like the next day there was a really well organized group, and you seem like a really well organized group. I'm not terribly in tune with it, I, I have to admit, but I have, I have watched it. So, um, how has this affected your life and attitude towards the university as, 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 a, as parents and, and as a family unit? Yeah. Well, um, you know, I think. For one thing, it's been really inspiring to see the depth and the breadth of the running community in Minnesota. There's been a, a massive outpouring of people um, not only connected with the current team, but a huge amount of alumni who are who really care passionately. And so um, I think the floodgates really opened in terms of people's passions and experiences and support for the program really coming toward the regents. and. And I'll have to say they were very good about listening to, um, you know, efforts that I had anyway to um, kind of share our family's experiences and um, raise the issues that um, Carson was just mentioning. And um, at the same time, it was very disappointing that like I, none of us ever got through to President Gable. And um, it seemed to me like she very much just sort of did whatever um, the athletic director kind of brought forward. and. You know, there's kind of nationally this movement to among um, collegiate coaches to call before you cut. And it did seem like a very hasty kind of decision to um, just jump right to program elimination when there was this huge outpouring of support, including financial support. I think we raised something like 1.5 million in in the course of those four weeks. And um, that would have easily supported the program into the future. And and yet what we were being told by the administration was that they weren't interested in even engaging around self-funding models. And um, I know tennis had a full endowment that would have, you know, kind of supported it into perpetuity, really. And it was just like, we're not interested. Thanks anyway. And and so that was really um, shocking to me and really disappointing because there's, you know, this universities, I think, get a lot of their kind of pride and um, kind of support from alumni through athletics. And, you know, I definitely appreciate that the main purpose of um, universities is on the academic side. And I've heard that that's what President Gable is interested in is really the academic side. And I respect that. You know, I I understand that. But um, for track and field in particular, with being the second most diverse sport at the University of Minnesota and um, being such a, you know, they kind of, when the cuts were made, they raised, you know, kind of what the factors were for why the cuts, ha- why these programs were selected. And it had to do with competitiveness and sort of local and national support. And then there was a third one that I'm forgetting. But um, but those things were all like super strengths of the track and field program. So it that just didn't jive. And and as I learned more about how the decision, I believe, was made with just a very small number of people within the athletic department um, that initially did not include the person there who oversees the program, you know, it felt like, how are these decisions, what are the real factors, you know, because what you've stated doesn't line up at all with um, kind of the reality for track and field. Um, so that was kind of, and it, it was disappointing, and it felt like we had leaders in place who were, um, you know, kind of not looking to build back better or to kind of use this moment to really creatively engage new partners that were at the ready, you know, in terms of the alumni support for the program. That was the thing that was most disappointing because I think we all know that 
finances are going to be difficult for some time, and so we're going to need to engage those partners rather than alienate them. Yeah, I want, I want to drill into that just a little bit, but before we do that, I want to just get go back to Owen and Eli and ask. So the, the decision comes out. Take us a little bit inside what it was like that, that first week with the team. Yeah, it was uh, just very, like, I don't know. It felt very numb originally. You know, we had practice. Like we were, fortunately, we were we were able to practice throughout this fall, um, even though we didn't have a cross country season. But yeah, I just remember it being like, honestly, I don't remember a ton. I just remember it being just like very numb and emotionless, and for yeah, for like at least a few days after that. Yeah, yeah, similar on my end. I mean, it's like it's kind of. I mean, it's just surprising to see, like, the, the true intentions of uh, Mark Coyle, our athletic director. It's like, well, like, you come sign on to a school, and, you know, he always, like, he would he would come. We have, like, a full, like, freshman student-athlete class, and he would, like, come in and be like, yeah, like, I'm here for you guys. Like, I'm doing all this stuff. And then at the end of the day, it's like, no, you're really not. Like, I mean, you you don't really know what you're doing, and you don't really, you're not here for your student-athletes. So it's kind of surprising, at least, to kind of see his true intentions, Um and, and it's really kind of like sobering to see that, I guess. Yeah. So all of your experience is kind of squarely inside what I'd call a dense intersection of really powerful forces. You look at the revenue value versus the human value, the gender equity and Title IX issues. And, and many strong arguments have been voiced in some of the country's most reputable publications about how a, a, divi- a diverse sport like track and field is too often the first choice for colleges and universities to cut, exhibiting probably some underlying or what they're considering to be underlying racial biases in administrations and athletic departments in favor of non-revenue programs that attract primarily white students. So how, if at all, have any of these issues or others that I didn't note there um, affected your views personally as you fought this decision? I can start. Um, I think with, you know, there were all these kind of facets that they were saying the program got cut for and you know, first it was financials, then it was Title IX, then it was, you know, you're not competitive, and it, it just kind of kept cycling through all these things, and it just made you realize over the course of time that there wasn't a reason, really. It was just convenience um, and probably some underlying racial bias. When the administration was saying it was based off Title IX and they were trying to, you know, increase um, opportunities for women, the uh, the women's cross country coach came out and said, the administration's been telling us we've had to cut five, six, seven, eight athletes a year for the last five years. And um, which was exactly the opposite of what Coyle was saying, so. Yeah, and I'll just kind of piggyback and say, you know, kind of the misuse of Title IX to um, justify, you know, financial cuts is really just kind of galling. And I I tried to engage a little bit with um, other, there's a great, research center on campus, the Tucker Center, that um, makes Title IX a big focus. And, you know, they were talking about how this has been an issue for 20 years, you know, and that the whole issue with football and kind of the way college athletics is set up, um, there's a frequent misuse of Title IX, you know, in that way, rather than looking at creating opportunities for athletes, it's used as a weapon to cut. And, and that's completely, you know, not, not right. And I wish that uh, people would kind of call that out more. Um, 
Yeah, and I guess in terms of the um, issue about student students of color and the great diversity that the track and field program has, I know um, President Gable was really active after the killing of George Floyd, you know, last summer, and making some decisions that really reflect her values around diversity, equity, and inclusion, which I was really happy to see. And, and so I was really hopeful that we'd be able to communicate directly to her and make sure she understood, you know, that the diversity the track and field brought to the to campus. Um, and I think that was an area that was particularly disheartening for me is that, you know, maybe she just had too much on her hands, likely. But um, I never got the sense that that argument got through to her or that information got through to her. And it was never clear to me that she was um, asking the athletic director, you know, did you look at diversity, equity, and inclusion when you made this decision to to put track and field on the on the chopping block? Okay, just to kind of go off what Owen was saying, like each time they would have a reason. Like first it was like, oh, it's a financial reason. Like we don't have enough money. We want to save the two million dollars um, out of the seventy million dollar budget. I think it is. I guess I'm not hundred percent sure on the numbers anymore. But then it's like you could go in and completely tear apart any argument that they had it was like okay if you're trying to save two million dollars out of a 70 million dollar budget that was before like football was going to be a thing so they were like oh or however much money in debt and then football got reinstated so that brings like a bunch of money along with it and, and tv contracts and then um and then also we raised the money too and so then it was like oh well actually it's not a money thing um it's a title nine thing so i think when you see them keep flipping back and forth it just shows that it's not like there's no reason um, really for it to be cut other than just kind of like a, just Mark Coyle just being like not really knowing what he's doing or having like kind of a special interest or underlying motives. That's kind of like, all right, let's try to make like, I guess I, it's tough to, you know, throw out hypotheticals um, or, and why he would do it. But I think each time he had a reason, we would just tear it apart and he would know it was wrong. And then he would just, you just couldn't reach him at that point. Like the whole the whole politics of it, you know, as you were asking earlier, Chad. Like it's, I I don't know if Mark Coyle's necessarily made a public statement on why. I think he's talked to the regents. Um, he's been virtually unreachable by any of the 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 track people. Like, let's have a conversation. You know, why is money? You know, us trying to you know endow some money for the program. Why is that unreasonable? Um, you know, he avoided the 60 minutes interview. There has been, and, and he's dodging the issues. He's going from money to title nine to, you know, uh, it just, it, it's just this vicious cycle of where are you going? What's, what's the reason? And I have no doubt they did some research. And as Joel mentioned, I think it was a very small group. They, they have information, but the fact that they won't make it public is, it, it's, it's a little mind blowing, right? Like, like the 60 Minutes piece that was aired this winter, he took a lot of heat, you know, for saying he wasn't going to be on there. Um, but that's what your job is, right? You go with the bumps and bruises and get on there and, you know, mm-hmm. state your piece and then take what comes with it. Yeah. So where where are where are you are you all now in the in the fight for reinstatement? Like where is um, Save University of Minnesota Track and Field? Yeah, well, so what happened was, you know, in October, um, we basically believe we had the votes to save all of the programs. Um, as I said, the regents were voting in October, um, and 
on on the proposal to cut the four programs the night before um i think they recognized that the votes were um just barely in our favor there was a six to six tie um and so a compromise was suddenly brought to the table that spared outdoor track and um you know there had been a lot of coverage in the local paper and other places about the diversity angle in particular um, that we believe that's you know likely what made them come come forward the athletic department and the administration come forward with the compromise proposal and suddenly um, you know somebody flipped and so we lost on a seven to five vote of the regions um, it was really clear that nobody had even asked questions about what does it mean to cut an indoor program out of a you know out of a track and field program that's unified outdoor indoor and um, women and men and that there the impacts just nobody asked questions about that and you know the whether or not um, some of the goals about preserving diversity if that was a goal of theirs um, it seems like it's gutting your indoor program, especially in a cold weather state like Minnesota, where if you don't have um, training opportunities and you don't have more importantly competition opportunities at you know the Big Ten and NCAA level, you will not be recruiting you know probably many high level um, athletes, but certainly sprinters and field people in particular, which is where a lot of the diversity in the program lies. And so um, you know the fact that none of those questions were raised or discussed was really disappointing. And so our group has continued to try to educate regents. Um, the way the regents work, you know, they have a four-year, um, sorry, every six every six, every two years, sorry, four, every two years, four of the regents cycle off the board. And so there's just been a turnover. And unfortunately, um, three of the four that cycled off the board were in our group of five supporters. So we've been working to um, try to, you know, educate region candidates. And now that the new regions are in place, we've, we've reached out to one already and are trying to um, kind of build understanding among the regions for the future. We've um, continued to try to reach out to President Gable, not with any luck. Um, and I think we've looked around the country and seen that when um, programs have been reinstated, it's has almost always been through a legal um, pathway or a legal threat. And so we're looking at all options right now and trying to kind of um, sort through what might be possible in terms of next steps. So we're, we haven't identified a single um, strategy yet, but everything's on the table and we're, we're really um, committed. I think the interesting thing about the different phases of um, the Save UMN track work. In the first phase, it was this very intense um, and very broad level of support in terms of, um, you know, many, many, many people. We have a Facebook page and, and many people I know reached out directly to regents to um, share their experiences and opinions. And then I think after the vote, we it took a while to kind of like regroup it was really disappointing because we were so close we think to um saving all of the programs and um and you know saving indoor track is a matter of a hundred and ten thousand dollars a year so it's like clearly not a money issue at all and i i mean i understand the title nine aspects as well but it it would take very little to um to reinstate indoor it seems and so we're kind of in a third phase now where we do have a um a longer runway to kind of 
look at what options are best. And, um, you know, we were kind of blindsided in that initial phase, but we're not blindsided anymore. So I think we're, mm-hmm. we're trying to gather our resources in a really strategic way and, and see what we can do here. But um, it does feel pretty challenging because, um, you know, we've got a lot of regions to, ed- to educate and we have um, a pretty closed door currently with, um, with the athletic administration. So Eli, based on where, where you are right now with your, most of your, the bulk of your college athletic career ahead of you, and we should point out that you made it as a red shirt freshman to the finals of the mile in the big 10 championship. So that's no small feat. You're running really fast for your age. Um, so I'm just going to editorialize there. You've got a bright future yet as a runner. How do you feel about where you are? You've got the outdoor track opportunity, but no indoor track. Is, are you going to stay at the U or are you looking to go elsewhere? Um, you know, a lot of it was like, well, our, our coaches aren't giving up on us. And, you know, that's the real reason we're here. It's like, I, you know, no one, at least on our team anymore, that that staying is going to be like, well, we're staying for Mark. It's like that none of that. It's like, well, we're staying for our coaches and the people, um, you know, around us. We, you know, a lot of people have very, very strong feelings towards the administration, rightfully so. Um, and so part of it's like, well, I don't really want to represent a school that, you know, has been unloyal to me on so many levels. But at the same time, it's like you're you're here for your coaches, you're here for your teammates um, and as well, like, um, you know, just great, great school. And, you know, I'm really happy with where I'm at right now. So, you know, the plan is to, to stay in my four years undergrad here um, and then kind of start, you know, maybe weigh some options for grad school um, at different places or, or see how that shakes out. But that's um, down the road a little bit. And oh, oh, and I'm I'm unaware of how much eligibility you have left. I I believe you're a senior, correct? Yeah, it's very confusing right now. I can't keep track of it either. Uh, <laughs> but so because of COVID, I have I'm a fifth year senior right now, but I'm coming back next year because we have um, I technically have eligibility in everything next year. Um, so cross country, indoor and outdoor. Obviously, we don't have an indoor team, um, but I'm starting a grad school program at the U. So. I'll be here for one more year, and Big Ten Outdoors is, is here next year, which will be, I think, a super fun weekend, you know, show off the new track and hopefully, uh, yeah, just have a good celebration of the, the running community. So um, I'm winding it down here. You know there are a lot of people out there who see these headlines and kind of just blow this all off as, as a casualty of lack of fans and money driving your sport or to prominence that – Essentially, not enough people care about track and field, so, you know, whatever. It, it, it rolls off their shoulders. What would you say to anyone who might have that attitude listening to this? I would say watch a, watch a, a stacked mile race with some, some big names in it and, and see how fun it is. Um, I mean, I think it's really good. I think the, the sport's been trending in a really good direction, too, with, um, you know, it's become a lot more kind of like story-driven and each person um, – you know, kind of has their own background and, you know, especially with social media, you can, you know, I can go on Instagram and see my favorite runners training or what they're up to or where they're training or anything like that. Um, and I think there's a lot more engagement between the athletes and the fans, um, which is really good for the sport. It makes it super interesting. Um, and also just kind of the, the new generation of athletes that are out there. Um, you know, it's like, you know, grow up seeing these kids run really well in college and now they're in the pros um, and, you know, doing fun stuff like, I know there, there's one group called the On Athletic Club, um, 
that's just been doing fun stuff where they'll do like little giveaways for anyone in Boulder. Like they'll put like a, a jersey or something like that and say, here are the coordinates, go try to find it. And just stuff like that, I feel like creates really good um, in- engagement with the, the fans and the athletes and makes it more interesting. Yeah, and I think there's there's actually a lot of people who who have the like the base level knowledge to care, you know, whether that's they did track in high school. I think at one point I saw the participation numbers of of like the 2020 high school season and or 2019 high school season, I guess, and track I think was the either the most or the second most participated in. Um and then you also look and just see how many people are running on a nice Sunday morning out on mm-hmm the river road or whatever and so i think a lot of people have a base knowledge to to be able to care um and i think like eli said the sport's kind of trending in the direction to the point where you know it's a little bit more accessible um maybe less stuff behind paywalls and it's just easier to connect with um, you know both the collegiate level and the professional level so yeah mom and dad what are your takes well i don't you know you're gonna find of course people who are just like yeah, whatever that sport, they can't sustain themselves. They need football, you know, the football revenue and and such. And yeah, I mean, absolutely that's true. Uh, but I don't think that should eliminate opportunities, right? Like if you're fighting this hard for football, and again, granted, I understand they can self-sustain. All athletes should kind of be on that same playing field. I mean, it's football, it tracks not on TV every weekend. You know, we're not cheering on the pros as much however it's you know it's equal opportunity it's um and as these guys are talking about it if you go i'm pretty sure people who've gone to track meets are probably not the ones saying that right like there's so much going on if you, you the more that you dig in you go and you're seeing i mean obviously we're distant runner focus but you know you see the high jumper you see the throws or the jumps or the hurdles um, you know, I'm, I'm a teacher. That's what I tell the students. Like, hey, go off for track. There is something for everybody to enjoy in this sport, um, and it's yeah, it it needs some help. It, you know, it's, and as Joel said, hey, you know, if this indoor program is costing one hundred and ten thousand dollars a year, let's talk to the alumna. We'll we'll get her back. That's not a that should not be a barrier. But you can't please everybody. Yes. No. Okay. No. Okay. Yeah, and um, so, can I just jump in and ahead, just say one thing yeah. about, um, you know, kind of the pathway, the Olympic sports, you know, there's definitely a, a pathway through collegiate sports in our country. And um, as the kids said, you know, track and field is kind of an up and coming sport when you look at, you know, concerns over injuries in football, you know, concussions and, and all of that. Track and field is um, really does feel like a sport for the future. It's an international sport. And I feel like college campuses have this um, kind of false dichotomy about revenue, non-revenue sports, and really don't talk about, you know, Olympic sports and, and what their role means there. And, and part of what I've done more recently is engage a little bit with the um, USOPC around their interest, you know, and that 60 Minutes program that Car- Carson mentioned around collegiate athletic cuts had a person from the Office of Collegiate Partnerships at the USOPC and so um, you know connected with them and they're engaging a lot of college level um, leaders to kind of envision the development continued development and success of Olympic programs Um, it's hard to imagine that we would ever have something that didn't go straight through college sports um, on the Olympic path but 
But it's interesting to me because I think at the Olympic level, track and field is, you know, one of the more popular sports for viewership. And um, I think the opportunities that the kids um, just mentioned really are um, kind of game changers for the sport, potentially. I think, you know, when Carson and I were growing up, it was like you'd get to see maybe a 20-minute segment on wide world of sports of, you know, a, a track meet or something. And, and that was pretty fun. But these days it's on any, you know, most weekends you can tune in and see some pretty fun competition. So um, so I think that'll be a really interesting conversation or reality to keep our eyes on is how Olympic sports through um, the collegiate level continue. And I hope that, um, you know, we can kind of change the language a little bit from not saying revenue and non-revenue. I mean, I think if if you looked at profitability, you know, the the arms race that goes on with collegiate sports around football and basketball and, you know, the changes that we've seen from when Carson was running at the University of Minnesota to the kids where, you know, they built this huge athletic village and, you know, it's a lovely thing and they get a lot of great amenities that that weren't even, you know, remotely available there. And I think that's all about football and basketball recruiting and you know maybe we need to look more at some of those things and really get back to the purpose of athletics and what that can bring for um, student development and and kind of think of it reframe the terms if we can that's great if someone were compelled uh, how would they effectively be able to help with the cause um i think yeah carson just said it's all me um (laughs) Well, I think, um, you know, doing what we can to keep up the, um, keep this in the, to keep this issue visible, um, whether that's, you know, kind of engaging with media or um, educating regents about perspectives. Um, The students have done really a stellar job of um, organizing some sit-ins and a march and things that really highlighted the impacts and forced people to look at, you know, how you're impacting current student athletes. Those things are all really important. And I think um, if, if people are passionate about this, they should voice that passion. You know, I think this is a time where, um, as we've talked about, there's a lot of challenges for decision makers on campus and they have a lot to weigh. And so, um, Voicing your your perspectives and passion and concerns is really important now because um, decision makers are having to weigh a lot, and if if we're not vocal, um, they may not understand what the stakes are. So, all right. Well, we'll post in our in our uh, in our uh, podcast notes a link to that that would help get people into that that field and that stream of of uh, of communication with the people making decisions. So. Just, just to just to kind of close it out now, um, what uh, what haven't we touched on that you think needs to be said before we wrap up um, that that maybe I didn't ask that's on your mind that you that any of you or all of you think that needs to be said about the situation that you've gone through. One thing that I thought was super kind of comical to watch was the um, so when the regents well first of all it's like how how the um, once the proposed like four teams or once there were proposed cuts it was originally four teams and then you know the morning of it switches to oh we're only cutting three teams um and so i've first of all i've never seen anything like that where it's like you can prepare for a decision for a month and you know super hard decision and then the second you know you're going to lose that proposal you can switch it and and you know kind of strike a deal with someone to make it 
kind of shift your way. Um, but one thing that I thought was really interesting was like the regents, a lot of them that voted to not keep the sports really didn't know what they were talking about. Like, or I guess they might've, I don't know. They had different points. Like one person was like, Oh, it's, is this gonna, um, this won't reflect like recruiting or anything like that. Like they said that after and they said, Oh, Mark Coyle told me it wouldn't affect recruiting. So that's why I voted no. And it's like, well, obviously it will affect recruiting. Right. Um, so clearly they didn't really have a grasp on that. And then another person or another regent was like, during that meeting was like, Oh, is there, is there like a club track team that you can be on? And it's like, and they're like, yeah, there's a running club. And it's like, okay, great. So you still have the opportunities. It's like, no, that's not, it's really just different things. Um, and it's kind of like, well, all these older people that don't really know anything about track, don't really know anything about sports, don't really know anything other than Mark Coyle's telling them what to do. They can't really, they shouldn't be able to base a decision off that in my opinion, but they're yeah, just uneducated, I guess. Oh, and you were going to say something. Yeah. So basically, um, we were talking about, I think my mom was bringing up the point of collegiate athletics at some point and, you know, why, um, you had asked the question, like, why do people, why should people care? Um, and maybe not so much why, why, do, why should people care? But I guess the point I'm trying to make is that basically if you look at the financials of the institution of the athletic department, there's only four, it's either three or four programs that actually make money for the athletic department. And, you know, the point of collegiate athletics has never been, I mean, it is now, but originally it's not to make money. It's to provide opportunities to a bunch of kids. Um, and it's about the athletes. And it's not like, you know, every program except for track is making the program or making the athletic department money. So I think that's that was just one thing that I didn't actually realize until we started looking into all this that I think it was men's basketball, football, men's hockey. I think those were basically the only programs that made substantial money and maybe one other basically broke even. But then, you know, 18 programs lost money and track wasn't on the bottom of that. Um, so yeah, I think that was just very, kind of a good point to make about this the state of the athletic department. It's not like, you know, it's not like track is the only program losing them money. Yeah, and just to piggyback on that, I think one of the most shocking things I learned through all this was the size, the global size of the athletic budget has just ballooned in recent years, you know, and I can't remember the exact numbers, but from the time of Joe Maturi, it might have been like 60 million total for the athletic budget, and now it's 120 million and you know that's not enough we're cutting programs and and so that's kind of back to the point I was trying to say too about things being a little bit out of not a little bit being out of whack and and that we need to look at that and and piggybacking on what Eli said I think I learned a lot from watching the regent meetings about how the university values engagement and you know they're a land-grant university and that um, puts a special kind of requirement on them to really do statewide consideration um, for the state of Minnesota. And they, they spent a lot of time talking about um, these maroon and gold strategic goals that they had and, and how they were gonna do a year long engagement process statewide to get the input of Minnesotans around that. And yet athletics, you know, which is something that probably of anything that the University of Minnesota does, maybe the thing that affects the most Minnesotans um, they were just, you know, kind of cramming through this very last minute, very 
unexamined, it seems like, in terms of um, external engagement um, decision. And if it's good for their strategic goals, it seems like a deliberate engagement process statewide about what's important to Minnesotans would also be a good step for them to be taking. The, the very small group that, that made this decision and the lack of information and clarity on where it's coming from and the lack of willingness to have that discussion is, is just, it's incredibly disappointing and it's not what you would hope for. Whether you like track and field or not, um, or tennis, uh, you know, or gymnastics, it's, it's just not what you would hope for from a university that represents the entire state. You know, Minnesota is a great running state. You know, we might not be the biggest football state. We're never gonna be like in Alabama, you know, but hockey and running are two things that Minnesota is deeply known for and, and that can really be um, kind of a lifelong community building type thing. I think I've, I've heard of the track and field alumni that in terms of donorship, um, to the University of Minnesota that they are kind of an outsized group, that they turn up, they give, they, um, you know, kind of continue their really visible support to the university in a pretty big way. And and I think um, kind of harnessing that is a, a way forward. And I hope the university um, kind of considers that and, and sees the potential for um, kind of future working together, so. Well, that's a great, great place to wrap it. We really appreciate uh, you guys taking your time out of your busy days to to speak with us on Threshold, and we wish you the best of luck. And we we want to post those those uh, links to so people if they want to get involved and help out that they can, and uh, and good luck to all of you. We really appreciate you uh, you visiting us and 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 sharing your experience with a very tough sporting situation. Thanks for bringing the issue up, Chad. Thank yeah, you. thank you. Go go first. Yeah, thanks, Chad. The Hafes touch on a pretty big point through their experience. There's a lack of transparency from those who made the decision to cut men's track and field at the University of Minnesota. Which begs the question, why? Are the only values of athletics in college those that pay universities millions of dollars for national television rights? Should schools like the University of Minnesota throw all their eggs into that basket? If all we get from Gopher Athletics is a Saturday football or basketball game on TV, is that the only value to Minnesota from its state university athletics programs? Because that's what's going on here. But if you dig into this whole thing at all, as colleges and universities are supposed to teach us to do, the answers, or at least the motivations, seem pretty obvious. The guise of it all lies in the high ideals and the value of sport in education and in life. And the NCAA doesn't completely ignore that, to be fair. It's supposed to be the foundation though. But if you look with any amount of scrutiny at the actions of the NCAA and its most prominent member institutions, why the ridiculous volumes of NCAA rules? I'm talking huge volumes of details of which you can and can't do with student athletes and money, all just to keep it from becoming what it so clearly already has become. Listening to the hafes, or better yet, to the many star football and basketball players who capture these financial deals for the universities whose programs aren't getting cut, but who never graduate or share in the spoils, you get the picture. It's pretty difficult for anyone involved to claim anymore that Division I athletics is about the athletes, at least not with a straight face. So who is it serving? The answers aren't hiding in the shadows of a complex dilemma, let's be clear. 
The NCAA and the U of M Athletics wants you to think it is, though, that it's a tough decision. But it's not. And that's why the lack of transparency. It all feels pretty exposed and not complicated nor tough at all. The NCAA, with all its rules, is quite simply a massive media moneymaker, posing as a public good. It can point to the rules all at once, but if we examine the NCAA with even the smallest amount of scrutiny, the big rules, like governmental law, for example, Title IX, have been going largely unenforced since nearly forever. If you spend any time in the NCAA world, you know that for a fact. It provides athletics departments a convenient tool to scapegoat these very cuts. It's the women and damn laws fault again. Only fewer and fewer are buying that one anymore. Even more telling, when it comes to dropping sports, the first to go is often the one with greatest diversity of participants that, that doesn't make Title IX violations worse and, get it, doesn't make money. Men's track and field. Most of these cuts show net losses to the institutions as a whole, greater than the cuts themselves, even though they relieve the athletic budget shortfalls in the short run. The cuts are making the financials worse, not better for the institutions. More importantly, it's killing their traditional avenues of support and culture, the things that make the Minnesota Gophers the Minnesota Gophers. And you can't get that back. If these were tough decisions for athletic directors, ones that were more deeply researched before being made, the outcomes probably wouldn't be what we're seeing. They'd likely be more nuanced. But arriving there takes time. And time is money. And money has no time for the hafes, nor Eli and Owen's teammates. It's all a system the Hafe family has come face to face with in a raw, all-consuming sort of way. And they're not alone. And it's far from over. But the NCAA, and along with it, the University of Minnesota, is at a reckoning it cannot hide from any longer. That's the threshold for this episode. I'm Chad Somla. Thanks for listening.